Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high vibing friends. I am so excited you are here. And as always, I have an amazing guest to introduce um, to the podcast. So today we're going to be chatting with Sharon Snyder. Um, she is an entrepreneur, a philanthropy expert, an impact investor, and a strategist who advises socially conscious founders and family offices. She has overseen more than $1.5 billion in philanthropic capital deployed through grants, impact investments, advocacy, efforts, and business operations for some of the world's most prominent families, including the members of the Giving Pledge, the Forbes, Forbes 400 Wealthiest Individuals, Top 10 U.S. Private Foundations, and others. She believes... Um, Philanthropy is a lifestyle and not a year-end check. She empowers people to do good through everyday choices and creates lives they align with their values. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to dive in. Um, I'd love to kind of just start by hearing like a little bit about how you got to where you are. Yeah. Well, I was uh, sort of randomly started in philanthropy because I had a fellowship to go to uh, graduate school and it didn't cover the summers. So I had to go get a job. Nice. And I got an internship at a place called the Pew Charitable Trusts, mm -hmm. which was a top 10 U.S. foundation. And um, uh, and at the end of the summer, they said, you want a job? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so my parents had been very worried about what this, you know, English and linguistics major was going to do. So, um, <laughs> so I fell into philanthropy pretty much right at the beginning of my career. And um, a couple years in, you know, we we were doing wonderful work with the with the grant making, but people started to ask questions, you know, myself included to say, hey, that's only 5% of your assets, actually. Like, what are you doing with the other 95 that's invested in something? What What is that doing? And um, and the answer it turned out was was mostly like, oh, it's actually working directly in opposition. <laughs> Our social impact Great. goals, like, like we're grant making and environmental issues to save the trees and, you know, prevent logging. And then we're invested in big oil, you know. Mm. So, um, so the, the kind of field started to have that conversation. And then for me, it, it went one step further, which was to say, um, and hey, can we talk about how you made the money? Like, how are we making our money too, before we put some portion of it into a charitable vehicle. Is that mm -hmm. in alignment with our values and our goals? Or like, again, are we causing problems with our business and then using a tiny fraction of the resources that it generates to turn around and try to solve the problem? So I sort of describe my career as, you know, that progression in my professional life, which was eventually, it took me, I'm not going to lie, it took me some years, but I eventually started asking those same questions in my personal life, which was like, mm -hmm. oh, hey, you give money to charity, but what about the other 95% of your, you know, household budget? Like it's a tiny fraction compared to what you spend on your mortgage, your food, your clothing. So well, what are those things doing and how are they aligned with your values or not? Because that's a much bigger part of your life um, from, you know, for most of us, um, both dollars and, and effort and, and time and those choices we make every day. And so that was where the thinking that eventually led to a handbook for an integrated life 
um, came from. So my today, my consulting practice is working with businesses, very, very wealthy families in sort of their philanthropy and asking those same questions across maybe their household operations, maybe the businesses they own and run. And then, you know, the book is sort of what I call the retail version for regular people um, to, to kind of do the same inventory and, and try to, you know, just keep inching in the same, uh, in the right direction of where we want to go. I love that. I think it's so important because I feel like we have kind of put it together that it's okay to turn a blind eye as long as we're making the money, right? And we think that it doesn't affect us or doesn't affect our mental health if we're making our money that's outside of our value system. And the reality is it 100% does. It impacts us so much when we're not operating from our value standpoint. And I work with a lot of clients that are going through that. They're going through like, well, I'm doing this, but I need to pay the bills. But it's not in line with my values. So what do I do? Um, and when I came across, you know, your handbook for the integrated life, I was like, wow, this is a really cool way to start looking at how do you make those shifts, right? Like how does somebody take an inventory of their own life and see what to do? Yeah. And and there was something about this pandemic that I think caused people to do a little more of that self examination and realize that this like soul sucking job is not worth it. They don't care about me. Like, frankly, it was like, Oh wait, why am I, you know, sacrificing myself at the altar of this, you know, chasing something that I don't believe in. And, um, you know, and I want to align my life to something more. And I feel like that's what the great resignation was about. It's not about the commute really. Mm -hmm. It's like the reason you don't, you want to tolerate the commute is because it's for something that is not, fulfilling you right um at at that deeper level yeah I think that's really important to look at too because you know I heard so much of like the societal input of oh it's all about millennials and they don't have the loyalty to the businesses and the loyalty to the jobs that like the you know older generations do and it's tough because that may be true but at the same time the companies don't have the loyalty either right it's not the same have you seen or heard of the um, the TV series Severance? I have not. Oh man, it is it is the the conceit of the show. The premise is that people um, undergo a procedure mm-hmm. to separate their work selves from their personal selves oh, in a very right. like physical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like literally, once you walk into work, you don't remember anything about your home life, mm-hmm. and when you leave, you don't remember anything about your work life. And you know, of course, this is a um, uh, analogy or a, a you know a story about all of us and what we are doing, which is you know literally pretending like you can separate those parts of your life and still be a whole, complete, fulfilled person. You can't, of course, right. you cannot. Yeah, that was a big part of actually my um, one of my classes for my ma- or my um, masters. Sorry, my headphone came undone. Um, It was a big part of one of my classes for my master's is they were talking about kind of the counselor identity and this idea that exactly like you're saying, you cannot go into a client session, hear all this traumatic stuff, and then just go home and be totally fine, right? You have to figure out your boundaries and figure out that you are the exact same person. So you're the same at home as you are as a counselor. And we have that idea, right? Where we can, like that kind of TV series where we can separate the two but the reality is we're a whole being, right? Like we're holistic. We cannot separate the different pieces. And I think too, going in kind of like a tangent piece, but this is one of the ways that we have a hard time healing in ourselves and society is 
we look at, oh, okay, I'll address the mental health, but I'm not going to address my physical health. Or I'll address my workout routine, but I'm not going to address my eating habits, right? We like to compartmentalize with all the different things. So I think when I looked at an integrated life, I'm like, she gets it, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, talking about that for the Handbook of Integrated Life, um, you say that you have seven key principles. I'm curious what you mean by that. Oh, sure. So there are, um, you know, in my, like, in my search to continually close the gap between this person I aspire to be, right, who perfectly lives into our ideals, and the, mm-hmm. and the person I am today who lives in American society, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've extracted out seven principles um, that kind of guide me through, because I feel like if you try to tackle each decision individually, mm-hmm. you get decision fatigue, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so you need some principles that guide you. On the other hand, if you only do principles, then, you, you know, it can be a little abstract. And so mm-hmm. the book is organized. The first half is the seven principles and they're, they're pretty quick read and, you know, hopefully fairly straightforward. And then the second half, there's a chapter on applying them to these different areas of your life. So there's a chapter on food and there's a chapter on clothing and a chapter on money and relationships and celebrations. And, you know, just gets really concrete about all the little steps that you can take um, to start to implement more of your values in those areas of your life. Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I think too, it's you mentioned the decision fatigue. We do get overwhelmed. We have so many decisions to make every single day throughout our lives. So I think sometimes it is hard when we get into this habit of, um, like I was a personal development, like avid reader, all the books about personal development. Uh uh Yes. I'm going to read all these like years ago (laughs) and I'm going to do it all. Right. And it's going to make me perfect. And then you get to that point where you're like, Oh my gosh, I cannot implement all these little things. And you're like, you know what? I can't implement any of it. Mm-hmm. And so we get into this place of that de- decision fatigue. So I like that you go through how to apply it without questioning every single little aspect of your life in that decision fatigue, but rather addressing it as a whole kind of category. And then that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So just as an example, one of the principles is... Um, It just went out of my mind. It's the one about foot, your footprint and, um, oh, walk lightly in the world. Oh, yeah. Walk, walk lightly in the world. And so the principle is just sort of about being conscious of your own use of resources and not taking for granted, right? Whether that's, um, you know, trees or energy or, you know, um, people's time and, you know, effort is, is sort of the idea of, um, if your guiding principle is to walk lightly in the world, then you look at decisions about, you know, using disposable things and you say, oh, do I need to leave a, a footprint here? Or about how you're going to um, get to the grocery store or, you know, the farmer's market or whether you're going to buy things from half a world away or, you know, locally made. I mean, it sort of is a, that's the idea of the principles is it gives you a a decision point that you can measure things against, um, you know, without having to articulate now what every single decision is going to be. I like that. Yeah. It, it's interesting too, how, um, with having something to measure that against that we don't have to kind of step into that place of, well, what does this look like for each individual aspect, right? Like you were kind of saying, it's it was just making me think of um, with the walk lightly in the world. I was like, hmm, when you said go to the grocery store, I was actually chatting with um, one of my friends the other day and I live like 
3.3 miles from a Starbucks round trip. Oh. And I was like, and I just had a, I had a baby. He's almost, um, he's about four and a half oh, months now. <laughs> Thank you. But I was like, oh, I'm going to walk and, you know, go get Starbucks. And they were like, well, then you're burning, like the calories that you're burning on your walk are pointless. And I was like, whoa, that's not, <laughs> that's, not <laughs> that's funny. I was here. going the other way. I was exactly. thinking, oh, if you walk, then carbon you burn off all the calories. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't even thinking that way. I was thinking the kind of the carbon footprint piece of like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get a Starbucks and I want to walk to do that. And, you know, kind of there's other things, but I think, you know, it's easy to go into all these different of why we're doing something. But if you have that principle of like, this is what the goal of it is, because this is the value I'm holding, then you don't get lost in all the things of like, well, what are all the little reasons I'm doing this? Which I think, again, is where that decision fatigue comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the book Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. right? You probably read that one. I have. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things he talks about is not not talking about your actions, but about your identity. Mm-hmm. So like in that case about transportation, be like, rather than saying, oh, should I walk or bike? Or sometimes I take my bike if I can't, if he, he kind of says, you know, your identity is, um, I don't, I don't, drink Starbucks unless I walk to get it. Or it's like, mm-hmm. I am a person who works out or mm-hmm. I am a person who shops local. You mm-hmm. know, these are like, like making that a part of your identity of who you are, which is really just the next step of the principle, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you can articulate a principle. And then when you really adopt it for yourself, you know, I am a person who tries to walk lightly in the world. Mm-hmm. I am a person who gives to others, you know, th- that helps you make those decisions consistently rather than again, each one, you know, because look, like working out as an example, I don't don't know how people work out at any time after 8am, because if I don't get up and do it immediately, first thing in the morning, I will talk myself out of it, Mm -hmm. you know, so fast, it (laughs) never, never happened. So for me, it's like a combination of not making choices, like not making it. Should I work out tomorrow? No, no. My alarm goes off. I put on my workout clothes. I work out. It's mm-hmm. just what I do. I'm someone who works out first thing in the morning. And, mm-hmm. and there's just so much power in, in going beyond, you know, again, like trying to do a nice thing here and there to really adopting principles and then identity based on those principles that allows you to be more consistent um, without the, you know, struggle and strain every time. Yeah. I, I like that, you know, you brought it back to the identity piece because, you know, with a lot of the counseling work from my background, they say that the biggest times that somebody has a crisis is when it's a crisis of identity, right? A job loss, a loss of someone important in your life, a loss of something, because that changes how we interpret our identity. And so with making this and adopting these principles and implementing them as part of our identity, it's also a really great way for us as individuals to allow other things to be part of us rather than looking at I am a teacher and that's my identity. I am this and that's my identity, right? So it takes back some of that power to say, no, hold on. When I like I'm working out, which is part of my identity, or I am a person who works out. I really like that you kind of use that word change because it's really important in the impact of mental health. That's so interesting. I, I've never thought of that. I appreciate that perspective a lot. Yeah. So I want to ask you about one thing you kind of started touching on it. Um, it's the difference. You talk about the difference of giving back and the difference of simply giving. What is that? Yeah. What's the difference between the two? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, I think a lot of people 
think they ha- hold certain values, but also that they're kind of setting them aside to, to make money, as you mm-hmm. said, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, well, today I have to make enough, you know, make money. And then sometime in the future, when I have enough, I will switch gears and I'll start to give back. And the flaw with that, that you can maybe see coming from a mile away, as, as your background would suggest, is they don't know what enough is. Mm-hmm. There's never enough for right. you know a lot of people. And so, you know, really it's a it's it ends up being extract, take, maximize everything for your own benefit, with the idea that at some point in the future you'll you'll suddenly like switch gears. But the problem is it's that behavior that we're doing today that's causing the problems. So like if you spend 40 years of your career you know what I mean? Causing the problems. And then at some future point, you give five years and a couple thousand bucks to give back, right. you know, you're, you're not going to make a dent in it. That's how we got here. And mm-hmm. so what I, what I sort of like to think about and talk about is this switching the mentality of waiting, like maximizing everything for yourself and then waiting for some future point that you will never reach. Most people, mm-hmm. listen, I work with billionaires, mm-hmm. I mean, people who, could have theoretically reached enough many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, instead, like, look for the ways you can just give today. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, it costs me a little bit more to, um, you know, shop at the farmer's market or to mm-hmm. buy local instead of like getting everything off of Amazon, mm-hmm. like my very least favorite thing in the world. Um, you know, or like I'm a, I'm a over tipper, right. Mm-hmm. I'm a 25, 30% kind of tipper because, you know, if I can afford to go out and eat, then that extra five bucks means a lot more to you than it does to me. You know, right. it's a, um, it's just a matter of, you know, having that perspective of how can I give along the way? And, you know, this goes all the way up from those everyday actions to things like as an entrepreneur, having ownership um, of your business, like employee ownership or Mm -hmm. stock options or, you know, profit sharing, like how, how are we, instead of, you know, hoarding all that wealth. And then again, you know, you look at the um, 400 wealthiest people in the country and now they're scoring them on their philanthropy, right? That's part of the Forbes 400 is to score them on their philanthropy. And, you know, they're still in accumulation mode. So I'm like, switch the mindset and um, think about how you can give and we can all win. And those are the people that I want to celebrate, you know, Mm -hmm. is the ones that create win-win transactions um, and situations um, starting right where they are today. You don't have to wait until some magical future point. Yeah. And I think it's important too, that you pointed out like this is, can be as small as like, you know, 5% more on a tip. And I think on the flip side too, if, you know, our listeners are saying like, they don't have, maybe they don't have the financial means to eat out. Like they're living very much paycheck to paycheck. Time is another way that they can give back, right? Like volunteering their time or kind of doing that. I know we're talking more about the financial means, but even on the flip side, there are ways that you can be giving now without, you know, and not waiting to, it it does drive me nuts. Cause I also hear that other, the opposite side of it too, where it's like, Oh, when I'm done having kids or when I'm done working, I'll travel the world and enjoy myself. And it's like, Oh man, that's a tough, tough situation. Cause are we going to get there? Right. Are you ever done with your kids? No. Are you ever done (laughs) with working? (laughs) Maybe, but you might be doing something else. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's always going to be something. It's the same with starting a business. There's always going to be a reason why now's the not right 
not the right time and you should do it anyway. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up kind of the issue about feeling expensive because I do want to say it's not all about spending extra money. And, and if you are a single like caregiver with, you know, every penny counts, like do what you got to do, mama. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to judge you for that Walmart or that Amazon prime. Like you're just trying to get by. I get it. And so for those of us though, that do have mm-hmm. a little extra time and a little extra money, and we can make these different choices, right. you know, to, um, to bring about the world that, that we want to see. But, but I also think it's important to, to note that one of the other principles that I, that I mentioned walk lightly in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of us honestly would have, you know, more of a mental shift, not from saying buy more expensive things, buy organic, buy for mm-hmm. a trade, buy, you know, but from saying, do you need to buy so much stuff? Like, mm. you know, I, I think the, the sustainability conversation tends to be about, again, like organic cotton or fair trade. And, um, and in reality, to me, that's like, what is the thing made of is like question number four, you know, mm-hmm. what I call a buying hierarchy is question number one is, do I really need another thing? If it's another sweater, another dress, something on sale at the mall, then the answer is like, Probably no, you know, mm-hmm. 75% of the time. So I think if we ask that as the first order question, that actually saves us and saves the plant a lot more than, you know, buying fair trade organic. But if the answer is yes, I need a thing, you know, whatever it is, I do, I do in fact need it. Okay. Then the next question is, do I need to own it? Could I rent mm-hmm. it? Could I borrow it? You know, is it like a piece of, uh, uh, landscaping equipment that I really only need twice a year, whatever. Like I don't actually have to buy my own spreader, you know, for seeds or whatever. And then if you can't borrow it, you're like, no, this is, I'm talking about a coat, like a winter coat. I really need to Mm -hmm. own it for myself. Then the question is, can you get it gently used? Do you Mm -hmm. have to buy it new? But because the greenest things, right. Are the things that already exist. So, you know, can I go to a consignment store or, you know, of course my, my teenagers love thrifting. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's almost a hobby for them. Yep. (laughs) Um, But then if you can't find something that is suitable or whatever that is used, then let's talk about fair trade, sustainable, organic cotton, you know, like what is the materials made from? And then if you can't do that, then at least get something high quality so that it will last and you can pass it on to the next, you know, next user. So I think that, you know, again, it's not always about spending more money. In some Mm -hmm. cases, it's about spending a lot less money. Mm -hmm. Just don't get things you don't need. Um, So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That consumerism, yeah, is very, very tough. And I I like that because a lot of times when I'm working with clients on identifying values, because I think too, we have to understand what our values are and what why we're operating and making the decisions we are, whether it's in alignment or not in alignment with our values, that question of do I need versus do I want comes up a lot, right? Like the difference between needing and wanting. Um, so I like that you kind of made that differentiation of, you know, do I really need this? And then can I borrow it? Can I, you know, where can you follow through with that piece? Cause you know, instantly um, I'm obviously still in like mom, mom brain, mom mode. And I'm thinking the amount of things that a little baby needs for a newborn stage, and then they go to the next. And so, you know, I'm, I asked a bunch of um, friends that I had that were moms. And I said like, okay, what are, you know, the things that you really needed versus the things that you didn't end up using? And what are the good like brands that you used? And I was 
appalled by the reaction because people were saying like, I'm sure many moms have heard about the snoo, which is a $1,500 bassinet because it apparently like, um, rocks your baby to sleep, but then there's a weaning phase on it because you have to wean your baby off of that to sleep somewhere else, like in a crib. So just as you were saying this, I was talking to one of the moms and I said, have you like, it's a $1,500 snoo and your baby only can use that up to 15 pounds. And I have a four and a half month old. My little boy was six pounds when he was born or six, six pounds, five ounces. He's 20 pounds already. And he's four and a half months. So I'm like, yeah, mine were like yeah. 10 pounds when they were born. Too, <laughs> like, oh so. my gosh. Yeah. So I'm like, you think about that $1,500, but then one of the girls said, I rented it. And I was like, what an awesome idea. And then she ended up buying it, but then she donated it. And so I love that you kind of talked about that of just because you're renting or donating does not mean that there's, I think sometimes there is this connotation of like, well, it's not new. And we have that kind of idea and that consumerism kind of, I don't want to say like, you know, you know, like everybody knows there's kind of that, like, Oh, well, it's secondhand. And, yeah, yeah. But there is still amazing. Oh, kind listen, of things. I, don't, I don't know if you saw that in my bio, but I actually had a tech startup for five years that was online resale for baby kids and maternity clothes because ah, of exactly this amazing. issue. Yeah. yeah. Because I was like, these babies like keep growing out of their clothes. And the question of where do I get the next set and what do I do with this set? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we've moved away from our families and like hand me downs had, you know, kind of, never been modernized. Right. And so, um, we wanted to make that like, you know, uh, updated and feel as good to, to you, the mom Mm -hmm. as buying new. And, Mm um, and it was definitely, we definitely ran into moms that had that, like, it's my baby. It has Mm -hmm. to be new. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. right. New means it's still got the formaldehyde coating, by the way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, uh, the, the, the thing I, I have a chapter in the book, actually, one of the second half chapters is about celebrations. And mm-hmm. one of the things I say is that with weddings and babies, people tend to set aside what they otherwise th- say are their values. Yeah. And, you know, just absolutely push that down instead of thinking, here's an opportunity to like, you know, celebrate and highlight, like in a way that's aligned mm-hmm. with my values, they kind of, you know, throw off any constraints. Um and and just consume 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 and we and we do get the message that that makes you a good mom you mm-hmm. know that like buying stuff having more stuff buying things for your baby and of course that's ridiculous like if we stopped and thought about it for a minute that's like yes. ridiculous and in some ways the opposite yeah of, it is you know right so i mean I, yeah it's it's just this funny cultural thing like marketing powers so much of this you know mm-hmm. not just not just buy this, but like buying this makes you a better person or Mm -hmm. makes you a more enviable person or will make you happy. And of course, no, none of that is true, but we're, we don't often stop and really examine that. Very true. Yeah. And I will say as a little um, tidbit too, for new moms, if you look at your hospital, my, I know the hospital I delivered at, they do what's called a mommy and me market. And it's that you can donate and then anything you go is for free 
and you just donate back what you don't use. So that's, oh, that's how kind amazing. of it is. It's really cool. So that's kind of how I've gone. I mean, I can't store everything and I don't need to. So that's the way I've kind of gone of like, I'll use something. And then I donated his newborn tub that I used like three times because he was too big instantly. Right. So, yeah. but it's really, it's a great way. So that's kind of a tidbit there, but I'd like that you were bringing up this idea of marketing and kind of these cultural norms. So um, I'm curious if you can like give some examples of cultural norms that really go against the value of shared prosperity. Yeah, I mean, I think Amazon Prime is like <laughs> I'm kind so of guilty of Amazon. <laughs> I know, and, you know what? I mean, listen, when we all signed up for that 10 years ago, we were like, awesome, what's not to love? And we just mm-hmm. didn't realize what the consequences would be in terms of you know, the drivers peeing in bottles. And, and uh, by the way, that Snopes has, li- that is actually true. That is a thing. That is not like an urban myth um, or how they won't pay the the employees to go through security lines and they get injured because they're pushed to go. So fa- like all of these kinds of issues, we, we didn't realize it. We just thought that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, and, but it's like, now we know. And yet the, the norm is like, well, let's not really talk about that and let's not really, you know, change anything uh, and acknowledge that that's what's happening. You know, so I think for me, it's not that I don't have an Amazon account anymore. I do, but I've readjusted again, my, my habits so that it's not the first place I go at all. Right. And so, you know, it's, um, I will look locally for some options and try to find something else or, or direct from a seller of some kind, you know? Um, and, and then if I can't find it or like, I really do need it tomorrow for whatever reason, you know, there's still Amazon prime in my life, but I, but I think it's, it's one of those things that we're not supposed to examine or for example, so many other of the gig economy services that seemed so amazing in the beginning, like Uber and Lyft. And uh, we always knew Uber was trash, to be fair. They've been like bad people from the <laughs> yeah. beginning. But, uh, but Lyft, you know, I really had high hopes, right? And I've always been a Lyft user. Um, and, and Grubhub and some of these other services. And now we're like, oh, this is actually really exploitative, you know, to these gig workers that end up making you know, less than 10 bucks an hour once they pay for all their insurance and their gas and their this and that. And, and again, we're so, you know, sort of supposed to put our own convenience up, but it's so convenient. They deliver it right to my door. And, mm-hmm. and so I encapsulate this in one of my principles is redu- resist the allure of convenience. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, essentially what mainstream culture is telling you is that the highest and best attribute any product can give you is convenience. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we end up again, pushing down a lot of other values. Um, you know, just, just including like single use plastics. Oh, it's so convenient. I can just mm-hmm. throw it away, you know? Um, and that what progress we've made on that really kind of died during the pandemic where, yeah. where it was framed as a, uh, hygiene issue. Although mm-hmm. of course we eventually figured out, Oh, that's actually not how this spreads, but we kind of kept with all the single use plastics that we had reintroduced because they were convenient. And so, mm-hmm. you know, every time something is easy and convenient, you know, the question is, and what's the trade-off? What's mm-hmm. the trade-off there? And is that something I'm willing to make? Um, and so, you know, again, I, I kind of say it's a question for those of us who can afford to pay some convenience tax. But, but I also fundamentally have started saying like, Yes, it's convenient and it saves me time in order to do what? 
Like, mm. like what is life? You know, <laughs> is, okay. is, like that life is doing things like going Christmas shopping downtown with your family and walking along the stores and getting up a Starbucks or, you know, local coffee mm-hmm. shop or something and looking at the lights and, you know, why are we saying, well, it's so convenient to order it on Amazon. Okay. But what are you saving that time to do? <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. just, you know, it's just realizing like we just been conditioned that we must do the convenient thing to save time, to do more convenient. Like I, I just am starting to kind of, maybe it's like slow living, you know, like yeah. slow food, slow living, slow, mo- like the whole thing is just, for me, we've, we've got this constant mainstream norm mm-hmm. that if you just float along and you seems like what everybody else is doing, um, but it's probably not really aligned if you think about it with, you know, the person you aspire to be. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful point because we have adopted this idea of convenience and of this time constraint that we're on that nobody's keeping. We're putting it on ourselves. And even like this idea of, um, you know, like you'll have more time to do what, like the first thing that comes to my mind is to scroll. Like you'll, people are scrolling (laughs) right on Instagram or Facebook or like, and so I actually, I ended up deleting social media off my phone. I still use it for posting for business purposes and stuff, but, um, and it was really bizarre to see that transition. And then the other thing too, is I'm thinking that is such a cultural thing here in the United States, because we know in Europe, they have like those three hour lunch breaks where they go and they sit (laughs) and they enjoy their lunch and then they work for like longer hours. And to us, it's like, I went to Europe and it was embarrassing for me to myself to be like, oh my gosh, this is painful to sit here this long and just wait. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that what a like, what a thing to come to. What a conclusion of like, this is painful for me to just sit and be present. Like, yeah. oof. And that took kind of a long, that was years ago. Mm. And that took some time mm. for me to be like, hmm, I need yeah. to address that. Right. Because I You're, am constantly yeah. in that convenience. You're reminding me too of a, I saw while scrolling on Twitter, I have yeah. to <laughs> um, some European said, I invited my American friend to just go erranding with me. And mm-hmm. and that might have not have been the exact word, but it was like, oh, you know, I have to run to the grocery store and the bank and the, you know, whatever. Um, and my American friend was so like puzzled because, you know, it was, their mentality was you do your errands efficiently by yourself so that you can go back and I don't know, scroll, do yep. do other things as opposed to, and, and by the way, I mean, I have three kids, they're now 18, 16 and 12. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a little different space than you, but it was the best advice I got as a parent, which was like, as a, as a new mom was like, don't think you have to, you know, settle the baby or wait till they're napping. And then you do stuff. You just bring the baby to with do you. stuff mm-hmm. with you and incorporate them into doing the dishes, into your grocery shopping, into your laundry folding. Mm-hmm. And, and like when they're part of it, it's just living your life. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, there was something really magical about that. Yeah. It's funny. My, my mom actually told me the same thing. She goes, uh-huh. I just brought you everywhere, but I will tell you the, and as, as I'm saying this for all the moms listening, let's stop the mom shaming because man, having a baby during COVID and even though he's, he, it was towards the end, like COVID was still a thing. Yeah, I brought, I would bring him to like target to do my grocery shopping or wherever I was going to run an errand. And, um, the amount of dirty looks that you get for just 
being out with a baby that young. And we have this kind of double standard. Um, and again, this is kind of off topic, but we have this double standard of, you know, what should be allowed by a new mom and what you should be doing and what you should do this. And it is, again, it's that idea that's not in alignment with our values of spending time with your family or whatever that value is, right? I was operating under my values, but I also had to get things done. And so that's kind of tough, but I know we're getting close on time and I want to ask you one more question. Um, We kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you think it's more important to spend money in alignment with your values or earn it according to your values? Do I have to pick one? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably, uh, if I had to pick one, I would say the earning it. And, And that goes for whether it's you're earning it through your investment portfolio, whether it's earning it through your work and your job, because again, industry and our, you know, economic activity how we create money is is the biggest area where we usually overlook um you know the faults right so the environmental pollution or the discrimination or the you know we're selling garbage you know but we're a marketer and we're like oh that's my job right and so i think you know it's it's about stopping it at the source so like how you earn your money if that's creating problems it's really hard to solve them um, on the, we have to stop creating, you know, it's the, the story about the putting the babies in the river and they're taking them down to the river and somebody runs up and says, where are you going? You have to help us take the babies out of the river. Like I'm going to stop whoever's putting the babies in the river in the first place. And so I, I told that story horribly, but hopefully you're familiar. With I am. It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same idea of like how you're earning the money, the money is putting the babies in the water. And so I think if I had to choose, I would, I would say go upstream and Stop putting those babies in the water. (laughs) I love it. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I think it was an amazing conversation. Um, And for all of our listeners, thank you for your time. And I will put Sharon's information in the episode notes so that you can grab her book. Um, I can't wait to read it. And also um, to get a hold of her if you need to. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.